0: Hi, welcome to Stardust Records, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Savvy, and I'm here with my co-host Lens. Before we get started, we wanted to tell our listeners that we are in full support of the SAG Afro Strike that is currently going on in the industry. We are monitoring the guidelines very closely and very carefully, and as we do that, we are currently putting a pause to our Star Wars visual media coverage as Disney is a struck company. We will include ways you could support those on strike when we post this episode, but for now we will only be covering what has been told to us by official representatives is okay to cover as a podcast, which includes, but is not limited to comics and books. Now without further ado, let's dive into our discussion of Rise of the Red Blade by Delilah S. Dawson, where we will be covering part one this episode as the book is separated into three different parts so Lynn's we both read the first 150 pages of rise of the red blade and before we kind of do a deep dive into it what did you think like what were your overall thoughts i'm very
1: impressed with this book (laughs) so far and i'm pretty sure that's going to carry through to the end i really appreciate the way that delilah writes Iskat as a female character and as as a Jedi that is struggling with her place in the order. It's it's so good her descriptions of her feelings and thought processes and res- uh, responding to what's happening around her, her experiences. It pulls you in. I I don't know if you feel the same, but I just felt very there. I feel right next to Iskat as
0: I'm reading this book.
1: Uh what do you think? How did you feel?
0: i I definitely agree. I feel like the author's note that Delilah left at the beginning kind of puts the book into perspective, mm-hmm. where she says, like basically that this is the book for those who never quite fit in. Um And yeah, I think that's why it feels like we're kind of there with, Iskot like throughout this first part and it's really easy I feel to um, to relate to Iskot because you know I feel like a lot of us as the readers can see ourselves in her like she's a very easily relatable character which is different from like the usual Jedi characters that we've gotten in the past like I feel like a lot of us can't quite relate to, like, Anakin. <laughs> uh, he's just the first yeah. Jedi that came to mind. But, yeah, I just feel like, like, throughout these first 150 pages, it's, like, the whole dynamic between the Jedi Order slash Council and Iscot reminds me of, like, a child and, like, a family who's not quite listening or, like, they're this child is going mm-hmm. through something like beyond themselves and they need guidance but it's so out of their comfort zone that it's difficult to offer that type of guidance so it's kind of like we'll just be this way in a way that we understand rather than us you know having empathy and you know seeking to understand you if that makes sense
1: yeah it does it's like they are asking her to fit herself into this mold of what a jedi should be but she can't she can't they're not meeting her at her level and they're not understanding her and they're not uh nurturing her and being open to her and i think you know part of that has to do with the way the order is structured you know you have your master and that's the person you're supposed to be able to rely on, and who's supposed to attend to what you need as a person. And her master, Sember, seems like she was a very hands-off master, and clearly she was trying to temper whatever was is inside of Iscand that you know the Jedi Order don't want to encourage. But in doing so, she's basically She basically trained Scott to be quiet and and feel uh, maybe not maybe not feel shame, but definitely to the point where she didn't feel like she could say anything and voice her 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 needs. So, and as going back to the way that the order is structured, it's it's you know your master is the person you're supposed to be. Um, who's supposed to be training you and taking you under your wing. And then, yeah, you can see other Jedi and you can see other masters, but like, there's just this sort of one, it's not like, you know, if you have a problem, you're going to be like, Oh, well, I have this, all these resources. It's just like, you've got your master. And especially with the fact that December had taken Iscot away from the temple and she wasn't there often. She didn't have other people as a resource to help her. And so as she's like going through, you know, doubts and everything, and then all of a sudden her master, you know, we'll get into that. But I think that she just, the environment she was around and the people that were available to her to help her just didn't, weren't enough for her. And I love that that we get to see that side of the Jedi Order because, as you're saying, like, we're so used to seeing, you know, good Jedi. And, yeah, we do get some insight into some that are, you know, have their their faults or their failings and they learn from them. And, and then we have the example of Anakin and how he felt. But, you know, we don't really get to see how... It wasn't a faultless institution, <laughs> basically.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's sad to know that like there was this version of the Jedi that we haven't really seen before like a very um almost very hush hush form of the Jedi like something is kind of out of place so like let's try to fit it into this frame though it doesn't really fit I don't know if I said that right but um you know it's got it's described like from the very beginning of the book to be different like physically different but also she had the instance that happened with the uh, columns when she was training with the other younglings/padawans slash I can't remember which how old was she at the time but they had this like moment in time where they got this experience with her and then based off of that single experience they judged her for the rest of the time you know that she's been there and it sucks it's like you go through one thing and this happens in real life too where like you go through this one thing and then people kind of define you based off of that one experience and it's almost like that also on top of that is got is like already physically different so it just feels almost like a lose lose for her
1: mm-hmm. i think it's it's especially notable the fact that she doesn't have the people she doesn't have a history She doesn't really know anything about her, like, physiology and biology. She knows she has two hearts and, you know, whatever the temple, you know, the hospital can figure out about her. But can you imagine, like, never having seen anybody else like you in your entire life? It must be so isolating.
0: Yeah. And there's this quote that I specifically loved that made me realize there's two quotes one is from Hizo which is not a human or a humanoid where I've noticed that the people that she does get along with in the story are like alien or just non-humanoid people and one of them is Hizo which is like a temple technician I'm assuming and he says where he's like You've never asked yourself what your heart wants, and then she corrects him, and she's like, "Well, I have two hearts," and he says, "So that's twice the desire, then." And I thought that, like, it's played off as like a soft little joke, but I think that that's, in a way, very true for Iscand like, she bears the weight of having two hearts, which is twice the de- like the desire and twice the emotion and the passion, and I know that. Jedi are not supposed to feel passion they're just supposed to feel serenity but it's like with that like with that much weight in your chest it's like it's impossible for Iskot not to feel the way that she feels yeah
1: especially with all of the external factors as well you know it's like nobody is nobody is seeing her Nobody is like, oh, yeah, that's another part. When they come back from, when she comes back from Geonosis and she's looking really rough and she has blood on her face, she doesn't realize it until she's gone through her whole day. Like, she's gone to the temple. She's tried to get something to eat. Like, she's walked through the halls. And then when she finally gets to her room at night, she realizes that she's still, like, just covered in grime and blood. And she's thinking to herself, why didn't anyone Tell me that I looked like this. Did nobody see me? And I was just like, oh my gosh.
0: What's so interesting is the decision, and I know that Iscott was in the Darth Vader comics, but the decision that she's bright red with like bright blue eyes and still nobody can see her. And I think that's like another really cool. Uh, not cool but like a, a really interesting you know character design decision that the book is really you know elevating
1: yeah and there was one other point because you've brought up how it seems like she's getting along well with uh, a non-humanoid alien so he's a oh, he's a uh, Salonian and they're like kind of a cat kind of like <laughs> cats um, So on the flip side, so he was like kind of you know uh, understanding of her, and then you have Jacosta New, who is the librarian uh, or the archive librarian, and when she when um, Iscott is asking uh, this this uh, I think she's a, she's like an assistant a librarian's assistant she's asking this librarian's assistant about herself like do you know anything about my species Jocasta like appears and is just like you don't need to know basically like the past is in the past you shouldn't be looking for that kind of thing and like you know and Scott's like well I hate having no answer for people when they ask me who I am and she's like we're a Jedi and that's all basically that's what's most important and nothing else matters Mm -hmm. I just was like oh my gosh she's constantly told either she's lied to or shown or told that she just shouldn't be looking and it's like it's easy for them to say because they, have, they don't know that feeling and so i just was constantly hurting for her and frustrated for her because you can just see that she's trying so hard to be so good and when she she says earlier on too before geonosis she's telling her master that she feels broken that she's mm-hmm. trying so hard broken and I was just oh breaks my heart she says master I try so hard how do I do do more meditation another amulet I want so badly to be better but it's like there's something broken inside of me and she says you're not broken we're all imperfect beings striving for enlightenment you just have to strive a little more than most <laughs> and I was just like that's not I don't feel like that's the right answer. That's not the right thing to say.
0: But Ugh. to like counteract that, sometimes like it is true in a like it is. A, yeah in a sad in a really sad way. Like like sometimes it like some people do have to try so much harder than others because it's not as easy to achieve what seems like is so easy for others
1: yeah I think in that sense it's like that I feel like Iscott didn't feel like she could say I feel like she and it's shown in the book there's so much uh, turmoil in her and she's trying so hard and then when she does tell her master this or she does speak out to her master this way she's at her wits end she's at her breaking point Because she wouldn't usually talk like this with her master. And so she's already trying so hard. And then for someone who feels that way to be told, you just have to die a little harder. Mm -hmm. As much as that makes sense, December, and as much as it makes sense to you and I, I, for Iscot, it was just just another like okay well I guess I'm not there yet and she's just continually feeling that way throughout the book I'm just not there yet I just have to just if I do this it'll be right I'll, I'll finally finally I'll, I'll be the Jedi I'm supposed to be. if I just do this if I you know and I think as time goes on in the book she's starting to realize that what's like she can't find the point of it anymore because mm-hmm. nobody is actually changing their view of her she's not She's discovering parts of herself that she feels that come naturally to her, and they're she feels that she's been, they're being smothered or she's being smothered, and she's not being allowed to be the person that she feels so sure that she should be.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, yeah, it's just oh, I feel so bad for her.
0: I know. And then going back to Jocasta New, it's interesting how like the younger individual is more open to helping. It's got, uh, but Jacosta is the one who's kind of quickly tries to refer back to, you know, following the code and just, like, keeping all of the older people in the book, like, Jocasta knew, and then, uh, the, the Bim species, I'm forgetting his name, um, I, I can find it now. Ume? Ume? He says, live in the now, the past and the future are illusions. There is only the current moment. If you can find peace here, you will always know peace. And it's honestly really sage advice and good advice, but like we said earlier, like, Iskot isn't in search of like, where Iskot is now and this is said at the beginning of the novel, is very like unbalanced. Her emotions are as changeable as the sea. I love that Delilah refers to got like, a lot to similarities with the ocean. Like, I think that's a good... And then it just reminds me that NER is surrounded by the ocean. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, a lot of these older people in the temple are kind of telling her, like, they're just telling her and not understanding or see they're talking at her that's what I was trying to say they're just talking at yeah. her and they think they have good intentions because it's what they've been taught like all of these years as time has gone by but oh almost seems like the plant that could have broken a cycle which honestly kind of like led hmm. to the fall not Iscot Is specifically yeah, for but like sh- but like their their blank mindedness or they're like very like they always had horse blinders on
1: yeah, that if they hadn't the order could have evolved with people like Iscott and and the other young jedi because it was a different time mm-hmm. and i think there's a lot of there were like you're saying there's a lot of older jedi and there were species there that had been there like since the high republic <laughs> you know And they had seen all of this, like, stuff pass. And I think, I don't want to say, I don't want to just come out and say the Jedi Order was complacent, but I think they definitely got comfortable. And Mm -hmm. that's why they were so, they were primed to be basically wiped out by Darth Sidious. And I think, you know, masters like Yoda, probably, I think he had a little bit more he was more wary because I think he understood that there was, that they were at risk, but obviously he's one Jedi. He can't, he can't know everything either. And so I do think though, that like how you were saying, how the older Jedi were basically passing on with a new, but this was not suddenly Iscot is growing in this time where it is not like what the Jedi of the, of the past grew up in this is war and all of a sudden there's so many less masters around and the whole like knighting process has been totally like changed there was no fasting there was no preparation for weeks and learning how to go through the trials like there was none of that they just were like oh yeah you you faced you you united your lightsaber in battle and you faced a battle so now you're a knight Mm -hmm. and it was just like so sudden and she felt that she wasn't ready like she had no idea why she was being knighted because she didn't feel like gone through what she needed to to earn that title and it as you know the weeks after went on I think she realized more and more that like it wasn't because of what anything that she did it was just because they had to knight them Mm -hmm. and she ended up being on that short list and so and that probably stung for her because she's tried like she's trying so hard to what she needs to be and in that moment she thought okay maybe I finally did become the Jedi that I had been to be and then to later realize maybe not maybe it's just because they were desperate and that must have I mean obviously it did in the book it explains you know that done to realize like oh it's just because they need they need bodies and also, speaking of the older Jedi, Master Cleflin, who was um, Clafon, Clafon, who was her master's master, mm-hmm. um, he, you know, repeatedly blowing her off and kind of like yeah. pushing her to the side. And I just I felt so bad for her because she's she is seeking out people. It's not like she's just going off in a corner and moping. Like she was seeking out people. Yeah, and she was asking. Questions, and they were just stone. They were just like, nope, mm You just worry about something else, worry about this, worry about that. And, you know, it, how are they to know? But also, how re- are we to really blame her?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it just sucks. It, it is really heartbreaking that, like, she's so, she goes so unseen that like when she meets with Mace Windu and Yoda and then like originally Master Galia uh, or Galia um, she had like asked for help she had asked for guidance from her own master from her master's master Um, she had she had gone to the she had gone with Tulin. I always I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right uh, I think it's I think it's two Yeah, uh, they fixed lightsabers. Um, they fixed lightsabers, and while she was annoyed by Josk's Josk's like question of you know taking her on as a Padawan, like she was still like okay, well this is gonna happen, and I can't do much about it. So she had been open to change. And they still had been treating her like she wasn't. Like she was very closed off. And they treated her how they saw her in their own minds. Rather than how she really was. And I think that's the most frustrating part about Isgat's character. Like how people treat her, I mean. Is that nobody is seeing her for how she is. They're just seeing her for how, like I said, like how they're making up in their mind almost it's really fascinating because a is like super knowledgeable in the force and like in the in the code and like she's not i'm gonna say dumb because i can't think of another word she's not dumb like she recites a lot of the times like her teachings and it's like usually pretty on the nose and she sounds wise and like mace Windu even says when they appoint her as the you know, as the Jedi Knight that's going to watch over the children, like that's a post that's generally occupied by a Jedi master, which Mm -hmm. implies that that one probably died. And it's so sad to think about, but it, you know, this, this is slightly off topic, but this book really puts into perspective, like the casualties that the Jedi went through, through the war. Yeah. Yeah, it
1: it it uh reiterates that several times throughout the book mm-hmm. how this is so out of uh out of the ordinary. Like she's they've grown up so many of these masters and knights around, and suddenly gone, and the temple feels emptier, and there's just yeah, it it's it's awful. Um, I think I have a quote here that I remembered um okay yeah there's a part where she is i think they're about to be sent out on a mission yeah and she says or this is to quote the book that was when it truly sank in, the scope of the war that now controlled their lives. That was when she truly understood how much damage the Jedi Order had taken at the arena, how many lives had been lost. There were barely any masters left. There were Padawans without masters, younglings without teachers, empty seats on every council. And instead of focusing on the next generation, the High Council was forced to send children out to war. Now the Jedi Knights had to step up and shoulder weight. They weren't prepared to bear all the freedom iscat had felt after the knighting ceremony dissolved into foreboding she wanted a job and now she had one and she wasn't sure she was capable of performing it just because someone had she had a new
0: rank didn't mean she deserved it or would be able to live up to it like oh gosh (laughs) she also she also mentions like just going off of that quote that she realized that the weight of war was something like she had to remember like who the missing faces were and she has moments like that multiple times like with the clones and and like and then when she gets on the ship after geonosis how she you know remembered there were people sitting in those seats and now they're not there anymore but she can't really like put her finger on who they were and that's such a heavy thing to think about that one moment these people are there and the next they aren't yeah
1: and and it's so much for her for her and all the other jedi to bear like tulan and the other padawans from their from their group um i'm sure it affected all of them differently and you know tulan he his master didn't die in geonosis and so like he had a different experience than iscot and it's, she, you know, she's already at a disadvantage and then to lose her master on top of it and then not know what she's doing. She was basically rudderless after that battle and being knighted basically out of, almost out of nowhere to her alongside Anakin, mind you, which if anyone, anyone who knows, like, I don't know if it's a spoiler, but if you've read the Darth Vader comics, you'll know why that, that specific thing that I just, up kind of bears weight but her and Tulon are knighted alongside Anakin and I thought that was so interesting and it was interesting to see her thoughts about Anakin um, well and so and it was it was really nice that Obi-Wan talked to her after I mean he was just telling her to take the kids Mm -hmm. inside I think but like but he
0: was nice and she she
1: was like he's he's a nice master
0: Um, yeah it's like knowing it's it's knowing that Obi-Wan is like a kind soul to to everyone he comes across even if it's for a moment but then I wanted to bring that up earlier but I forgot so thank you for bringing it up again but knowing that that's how Anakin was knighted um, brings like a whole different perspective to re- uh, Revenge of the Sith for me and I feel like I now have to watch mm-hmm. it again and I feel like I now have to watch the prequels again because that's such a significant moment in a in a Jedi's life and that was almost dampened. And then to think that Anakin stood before the council and had a seat on the council, but then he wasn't granted the rank of master. So it's almost like he's had these really great opportunities, but somehow they've been dampened for him. Hmm. Yeah. I know the book is about Iskot, but I was like, whoa. I wonder if that was intentional. Yeah.
1: I, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say this for sure, but I know that drew from the brotherhood book. And I think that that scene might be in brotherhood. Someone, I'm sure someone's going to be like, well, you're wrong. (laughs) But I, I'm, I was reading that she had, uh, drew some things from that book. And so I'm, I'm, suspecting perhaps that that was in it um or alluded to which is cool because uh having read the book or having reading this book and remembering like some of the interviews with delilah and some of the other editors for this book it's cool to be like oh this is what they probably meant when they said this as as i'm reading also i wanted to bring up with the fact that they're being sent on these missions and they don't really have very much information about where they're going and what they're doing. And I know this is brought up a couple of times, but basically these missions are given to the Jedi Order a lot of times by Palpatine himself. And I mean, just realized that he was just messing with them this whole time. He was basically just sending them to these places with very little information or intel and a lot of times wrong information and so then you know is is annoyed at she's annoyed at the jedi for not giving her more information but it's they don't have the information and and then of course they distrust her a little bit so even then they're not telling her every every little bit that they know even though they don't know very much and so it's just interesting to realize that you know palpatine was orchestrating this i mean we knew this but like he was orchestrating every single little little moment of this war and screwing them over and and the line that made me remember that was because yoda said no the supreme chancellor's mind you do not but an important part you play but an important part to play you have so he kind of let slip there that this was the chancellor's mission that he they, they were being sent on with um I think it was uh Jask and Tuulon, one of the first missions the first mission that Iskat and Tuulon went on as knights and so then as you read what happened on this mission it's like ah oh, Palpatine really screwed them over
0: yeah and that whole interaction towards the end of part one with Palpatine where uh, he's kind of just like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I totally think that you should go to, like, basically just telling her what she wants to hear. Which is just an mm-hmm. agreement with wanting to be out in the field. And, you know, we all know who Palpatine is. So, it's like, it's almost like he was egging her on. Maybe he, like, could feel her you know imbalance or that was a very interesting scene it was so quick but i was like oh my god (laughs) yeah i have no doubt that he he
1: kind of like pegged her as someone to watch you know Mm
0: -hmm. or or
1: just like remembered her because he didn't do any he didn't do anything that wasn't to serve him so if he didn't want to talk to her which as a Sith board He's not just going to make random conversation. Like, that was calculated.
0: Yeah, it was. It's it's a really uh, deep scene. And I'm excited for part two because I didn't think that it would go so into depth, like, so early into the prequels that we know. Like, it, it kind of just started right before Geonosis. And I wonder, like, this will probably be Revenge of the Sith in Part 2. Um, and then I'm assuming Part 3, end of Part 2, beginning of Part 3 is, like, the Imperial Inquisition. But, you know, to kind of, like, wrap up our talk about Part 1, the whole time I was thinking, like, where all the other Jedi were. Like, I thought of Seer and, and Trilla because, you know, everyone was called to geonosis so i was thinking maybe like were all of them like where were was every single jedi padawan jedi knight jedi you know were they called there but then who was at the temple with the younglings and like i'm assuming not every mission could have been halted for this one single mission so i was like I don't think I can think too much into this. There's a lot of Jedi.
1: <laughs> I, I would assume that there were probably some that were that stayed back at the temple, but I also think that like on such short notice, probably all of them couldn't attempt, couldn't be at Geonosis, Just you know, time wise and how far they must have had to travel. So, uh, yeah, there's probably some that were not there, um, and I this makes me want to know more about seer and trilla and what they what like their roles were during the war we know that they were with younglings and it doesn't look like they were on coruscant when the order 66 occurred and they were like protecting younglings so it makes me wonder like if they had some sort of at that point if they were like teachers not teachers but you know what i'm saying like they were taking care of younglings at the time or if they just like grabbed them from the temple and ran like I-, I would love to know what that story is and how that ended up that way and I hope that we get mm-hmm. to learn that someday
0: um I did yeah, like I thought about them sorry I did fully expect us to get cameos but
1: yeah I was thinking like I wanted to see some inquisitor at the temple you know like, mm-hmm. even if it was just vaguely, if they were just vaguely referenced, you know? Like, like, ninth sister, or, or...
0: I would have done anything yeah. to hear about Masana.
1: <laughs> I know, I know. I would love to have known, like, what she was doing. But, you know, Iskot's world was, like, shrunk down. Like, she, she was at the temple so much, and she couldn't hear about everything that happened. So, I don't know i i'm sure we'll we'll figure it out by part three we'll figure out where everybody's been and where they're at but yeah this was it's it's been really fun so far i'm excited to get through the rest of the book and see everything that has though even though we know how it ends, (laughs) is i'm so excited to see me too
0: so that wraps up our discussion on part one but today is I've seen it on Twitter be called Barbenheimer Eve or Barbenheimer Day because I know that Thursdays sometimes like they'll have showings, but I don't quite have a game. But like, I have, I guess, like a little suggestion thing where I will say a couple of characters and like, I want to hear your opinion on whether you think they're Barbie or Oppenheimer. I thought today would be fun to do that for the holiday, but I will. Stick with, I. I'm gonna stick with Jedi survivor characters. That was my thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: Um. And this is. And is this like? Is this like what the characters would like? What movie they would go see?
0: What movie they would go see? So not so much like personality okay. wise, like how it used to be, like the Barpenheimer GF or like the. Now I can't say the the Oppenheimer BF and like Barbie GF like. Which one would they go see? Okay, so um. Okay. Oh gosh. Okay, let's go with Dagen Gera. See Barbara. You or... definitely.
1: I feel. Oh, my first gut instinct was Oppenheimer because I feel like he would want to know about like war because <laughs> he seems like a really someone who just always wants to know about that. But I think that. I think that if he went with, um, oh, my gosh. C- What's her name? His
0: girlfriend. Oh, Centauri?
1: Centauri. I was about to say that's that wrong. Centauri. But if he went with her, they would go see Barbie together. He would, it would be like one of those things where it's like he planned to go see Oppenheimer, but then she was like, I want to go, too. And, he's, and you know, like, I want to see a movie as well. And then he'd be like, or she'd say, oh, what about Barbie? And he'd be like, okay, yeah, let's go to see Barbie. I don't know. What do you think?
0: So I love that. I, at first was like, well, I think both of them would be so confused to see like the, the idea that like a hollow film is a thing and that you can <laughs> just like go and see it. Um, But I thought that Centauri, would go see Oppenheimer specifically to like mm. educate herself on the, you know, corrupted pat like the history. Like yeah, yeah, you know? I feel
1: that because she is a history lady.
0: Yeah, but she's a girly, so I feel like she mm. like Barbie. But I do feel like she's the type of person to like wait for digital release, <laughs> <laughs> so um, she can put
1: it in her collection.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Seer and Eno. Okay.
1: So knowing Eno, I think it's the same with Centauri. Same. I think that he, I, yeah, I think he would be like taking it as an opportunity to learn, which we know he loves. He's a learning, he's a learn, learning boy. <laughs> um, history boy. <laughs> I think that Seer is so intense, and so she hardly ever, like, lets herself be goofy. But when she does, it's like, I don't know, I want her to be happy. Yeah. So I think, I'd, I think that she would go see Barbie. I but too. I don't know that she would just, I don't know if she would just, I don't know if she would tell anyone.
0: I think she would just go do it. It would just be like a, like a date that she would take herself on. I love that. But also I feel like it connects to like the answer that I feel like we would both have for Cal, which would be Barbie. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like, Cal, I feel like Cal would definitely like drag her mm-hmm. and take her to Barbie. And she would just kind of like, look at him and, and shake, shake her head.
1: He, he'd be like, trust me, trust me. <laughs> you need to see this this will be
0: good I also feel like Marin kind of detests movies like I feel like she's not a movie fan <laughs> but I do feel like she would go see Barbie with Cal um yeah or or maybe she would go with seer yeah She'd like okay I'll tag along why not yeah, I
1: think she'd be really <laughs> confused. I think she'd be really confused, but
0: entertained. She'd be blinded. yeah, because she's such like a she jokes around a lot and she's she's like silly. So I think that she would mm-hmm. like she would enjoy the lightheartedness of the film. Mm-hmm. I don't think that she would want to go see Oppenheimer, which no. is the story about a man who, you know, made the weapon that wiped out entire uh you know
1: just Cities. like
0: yeah just like her with the Dathomir. but okay one last one no okay okay, uh, okay. this isn't the last uh, one okay bode he is definitely
1: a barbie girl <laughs> he would definitely see barbie he would and i think that he would accidentally take because i don't know that this barbie movie is like geared specifically i think little girls can see this movie but like it's not a children's movie you know what i'm saying and so i think he would take kata to it thinking that this was like a little kid's movie (laughs) and 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 he will end up like laughing a lot during it because he's it isn't really a children's movie (laughs)
0: He would definitely, she's so mature, though, like, wise beyond her years that I feel like that, like, he would be like, sorry that I took you to that and that it's a little bit more mature, but she would be like, like, explaining the plot and, like, the theme and he'd be like, okay, maybe you're not, like, too young, (laughs) but if we're talking about Imperial Boat, like, if he was at the ISB base, like, he'd probably have to be an Oppenheimer. Guy. yeah he wouldn't but, have he wouldn't have the choice. but like the the boat that we see with Cal, who's like suave and he'd be like, Barbie through and through. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. okay. This is my last one, and I'm really excited about this one. Grease.
1: okay. <laughs> I think it's obvious. I think he would definitely go see Barbie.
0: I feel or... like he's a, he has, he has a burning, passionate crush on Margot Robbie.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I think he would definitely go see it. And then he would love it so much that we, he would host, like, a Barbie-themed night at the Pylon Saloon. And then all the songs from the movie, he would make the droid play.
0: <laughs> he's like play Dua <laughs> and
1: it would be amazing
0: it would be amazing I would do anything for uh, a Barbie night at Pylon Saloon oh, it'd be amazing Cal, okay, can bring his, out of time. Cal can bring his pink poncho okay so that's the end of this week's episode so next week we'll see you for part two of the rise of the red white discretion where we'll go over part two of the novel um but until then you can find us on twitter and instagram so stardust records without the o that's the handle for both uh social media sites but you can find me at andorisms at twitter and instagram and tiktok and then where can we find you Lens?
1: at cosmic love on twitter and at Rebel Risen on Instagram.
0: And we will see you next week for uh, another episode of Stardust Records. Bye bye. Bye bye.